0: Hey gang, it's John. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. We get to hear from Matthew Nelson, one half of the dynamic duo Nelson. So they are releasing today, September 29th, a remastered version of their debut album, After the Rain, on vinyl. And Matthew was kind enough to come on here and talk with me about it. So here's how this happened. Regular listeners know, about a month ago, I was at the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo, and I got to host a songwriting panel, which Gunnar Nelson participated in. And he was great. And afterwards, I asked him if he would come on the show so that I could spotlight him and give the full hustle treatment. He said he would. He put me in contact with his people. His people are the same people that also manage Loverboy and Hall & Oates. So I already kind of know them, Loverboy, Mike Reno's been on here and I've been bugging these guys to get either Daryl or John on for a couple of years. So they know who I am and they contact me and they say, hey, can we time that interview to the release of After the Rain on Vinyl? I said, absolutely. So scheduled time for the interview comes around and instead of Gunner, it's Matthew, which is totally fine. These guys are absolute pros. I have been knocked out by the professionalism and the entertainment value of talking to the Nelsons. They are amazing. And I was told we would only have 15 minutes. Now, you guys know I like to go 45 minutes to an hour at least. I said, well, can I at least have maybe a half hour? They said, well, probably 20, 25 minutes max, maybe. So I go in thinking, I'm only gonna get 15 minutes. Let's hit the details on the the vinyl release and maybe we can get into a few more details after that. Well, Matthew, bless his heart, was kind enough to talk to me for about 35 minutes and we touch on a lot of other stuff it's not completely the full uh, hustle process but it's pretty close I almost put this out as a regular episode but I wanted to time it with the release and, and it's really about promoting this this vinyl album And anyway so we talk about the ups and downs you know what happened they sell 5 million copies of that debut album and yet they can't get arrested a couple years later we talk about the girls they went out with what they've been doing, I I love these guys. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and I hope you are reminded of what a cool band Nelson was. Anyway, uh, thank you, Matthew, for talking to me. I believe he called in from LA. Here you go.
1: Alrighty, I, I know we're short on time, so I'll try and get right to it. So first sure. of all, tell me, tell me a little, tell me, give me the specs on what the reissue is. Tell me all about it.
2: Okay. So our album, After the Rain, I guess, for better or for worse, is kind of considered a, a, a rock classic now. Uh-huh. It's better to say that. So uh, <laughs> when we got the uh, the call that Friday Music was interested in reissuing our album in 138-gram uh, uh, audiophile vinyl, I was really excited. The problem was we couldn't find the master tapes. Uh They had really? been mislabeled and mismarked. Yeah, we, we lost them actually for years. And, uh, we finally doubled down on, on our label, which inherited, uh, the DGC label, which wound up being Universal uh-huh. Music. And, uh, we, we actually found the masters mislabeled in the wrong size box, actually. And what we were trying to find, of course, is the uneqed two-track masters of the album, sure. uh, sequenced or not, but we just couldn't find it. And when we found it, I was jumping for joy. And, and as far as my brother Gunnar and myself, it's kind of my, world is the mastering and, and product management and so I got a chance to fly out to Los Angeles from Nashville and re the album and master it with and, uh Goknar over at the oh. Capitol Tower. So it just uh, turned out to be a dream come true and especially because yeah. I really thought there was a lot missing uh, even though it sold millions of copies there was a lot missing from what I remembered hearing in the studio and a lot of it was low end I think that when Oh. Uh, the initial uh, mastering engineer uh, mastered it. I think he was probably using a subwoofer in the studio, but it just kind of like um, the the end result was I was losing a lot of information below a certain frequency, and it's all back there now. Of course it's louder because it's 30 years later, but we made sure that uh, we absolutely didn't slam it like a lot of people are doing now. Like kids, they love hearing things just completely compressed to the bejesus. And with us, we wanted to keep all the the musicality and not change the record but enhance the record and that's exactly what we did
1: okay so when what's the thinking of putting out a reissue on vinyl versus or in as well as cd i mean i know people say that fewer and fewer people buy cds anymore i'm one of those people is this something that's very specifically uh it sounds even better on vinyl or what was the thinking behind choosing one over the other
2: well, we kind of did a little bit of both. See, when you when you EQ for vinyl, you have to hit it differently because it hits mm-hmm. the lathe uh, a certain way. So it's actually a slightly different uh, overall master than, say, something that you would optimize for streaming digitally or even for encoding on a CD. Okay. And we did. We actually wound up doing both. And so for the vinyl is it, it specifically mastered to sound best on that That's thick vinyl. Got it. And, okay. And and there's the, the subtle differences with that over, say, I mean, we reservice also uh, all of the streaming services and, and outlets and tried to get, uh, it's kind of difficult all these years later to get them to replace the masters of hit songs with better ones. But right. that's what we've been doing. But our focus really has been this vinyl re-release because we were actually the last, al- uh, the last band back in 1990 and 91 on Geffen to release on vinyl. Uh, oh yeah yeah so they they uh we actually had it in our hands back in in those days now again the thickness of the vinyl was a lot thinner it was a lot cheaper it didn't didn't sound quite as good because the master was different but to be able to hold that album and look through the artwork and read the credits and the liner notes and and of course we have upgraded liner notes and a song by song and all kinds of stuff that make this something special good okay oh that
1: sounds great What's the, what have you found over the years has been the appetite to go back to this particular album in your career? I mean, you guys didn't make, get the chance to make as have as long or as consistent maybe a music career as you probably as someone who sold five million albums deserved. But over the years, especially maybe the last five to ten, what do you find is the appetite among your fans for reissuing
2: new music, uh, shows that kind of thing? Well, I mean, it's multifold. I, I, uh, of course, our fans now have kids that are rediscovering their parents' record collections, and I good i kind of saw that happen years ago when I was out with Styx and Frampton opening for them. It's mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. I, I You know, for everything that's good about music now being so accessible, it's also a bad thing. You know, yeah. kids in, kids in particular are growing up with things being so here today, hot tamale. You know, you don't have to learn how to play an instrument when you can cut and paste it and loop it and I think what they're discovering through their parents is the fact that there was a time when people had to actually learn a craft, like really hone yeah. a craft and spend years developing it. And when you wrote a song, it was an actual song, you know, yeah. it wasn't a, with something, you know, yelled at you. So yeah. um, I think you have that. But then also you have, you have parents and, and, and stuff that, that were there the first time around that not only want to relive it, but they're a little more sophisticated this time around. They, they want a little bit of that nostalgia but they would prefer yet to know that at least you know we haven't given up and we're always trying to do something a little bit better you know i mean yeah. the fact that, you know gunner and i we we started our own label pretty pretty soon after uh the second album with Geffen yeah. didn't work out quite as well uh, in that climate which of course was the middle of grunge and yeah. and so we never stopped making music i mean we have 14 albums out and all that t- stuff but people remember after the rain as being one of those one of those albums that they they grew up with it was uh an album that in a, in a band frankly had a project that spoke to you know millions of the disenfranchised you know sure. we weren't we all weren't the cool kids we were yeah. speaking for most of us and and i think that when you put on the album we designed it to be an album it was one song leading into the next song leading into the next song and it it, it took you on a trip when you put it on you know, and of course, side one was side one. You flipped it yeah. over, and side two had a similar vibe. And and yeah. we did that on purpose. And and I think there was more care that was put into it. And and nowadays, yeah. of course, it's kind of gone back to ironically where our dad was. You know, back in the fifties, mm-hmm. one song at a time. Yeah. And people are making their own things, but you know, I think there is kind of a a bit of a, a nostalgic yearning for an experience, for a musical experience. Yeah.
1: I'm sure based on something that's always kinda of irked me a little bit about Nelson is that I don't think you guys maybe because of because you were just too pretty or because it was <laughs> you know, lumped into sort of the hair metal, I hate to call it that, but genre sure. that's going on. I think that I think what got lost in the shuffle is what classicist you guys are in terms of songwriting. There's no question that these songs you can dress them up, you guys can have your hair long and look good and dress them up as hair metal or whatever, but the bones of these songs are so solid. They're classic. They're, you know, they're tradi- They're going to succeed no matter what. Did you ever feel like you were given the credit that you probably deserved at the time or ever?
2: Well, that's a tough question to answer without sounding like, you know, sour grapes or whatever. I mean, well, the truth is it's kind of a family tradition. You know, yeah, that's I, what I'm
1: thinking. It came from your dad and beyond,
2: and, right? And, and Ozzy as well, because he was considered a pretty boy for his era and all that. Even though he was, you know, super solid, had number one records, and toured a you big are. band for 14 years. I mean, you know, here's the thing. I always say it like this: the media is a blessing or a curse. Hmm. And of course, you use it to sell records. For us, it was MTV. For our dad, it was the Ozzy and Harriet Show. Mm-hmm. Now. Paul McCartney says in the show that we do for our dad, you know, we didn't get the Ozzy and Harriet show over in England. He was mm-hmm. he was the famous one in the family. Mm-hmm. And in England, he didn't have any of that stigma that he had in the States. Similar mm-hmm. vibe, you know, oh, he's too yeah. pretty or manufactured, manufacturer, whatever. Gunnar and I, had the same thing. You know, we, we, of course, were darlings of MTV, but if you even listen to the music back then, it was really obvious for those people that grew up with that. Nelson had a completely different, yes, we were pretty guys. We did that on purpose. We went to England and, you know kind of studied image and all that kind of stuff yeah. but we also were twins and and honestly in europe which we always anticipated it was going to be a global effort not just the states unfortunately sure. it didn't get there because Geffen sold his record you know record company you know halfway through our first single okay. but um you know it was more of a european thing where image is as important or more important even than the music but right. for Gunner and myself thank you for for citing you know our influences because truly we were songwriters first. We we yeah. still are. We're, we're songwriters. We just we just wrapped it up in in, in a package because we figured we it's part of the job. You know, make sure. make that part of it as well. And we were too pop for the rockers. You know, mm-hmm. the, the hardcore rockers mm-hmm. and the Metallica crowd. And of course, we were too heavy mm-hmm. for you know the, the the poppers. You know the, yeah. the You know, so it, we yeah. found ourselves kind of the one guitar band on pop radio. And when we yeah, with pop radio, rock radio abandoned us. So to answer your question, we were always men without a country, and I was okay with that to a certain degree, because Interesting. What, we, what we were trying to do, honestly, was kind of a counterstatement to everything that was happening at the time, ironically, all the hairband crap, yeah. because even though we had long hair, we didn't wear makeup, we didn't have Aquanet, we didn't all this stuff, but but our stuff was far more the DNA was the California sound. It was Completely it was everything ranging from our dad the beach boys you know the birds the hollies all that stuff that was actually non blues related yeah and everything that was happening in the hairband stuff look i hate to say it i love acdc totally but it's awfully it's awfully easy to sound quote tough when you're playing 145 blues with a Marshall, you know right uh huh and we didn't we didn't do that love and affection had a jangly rickenbacker 12 string intro yeah. so it was kind of a you know i kind of look at it as you know, I never tell people this, but Gunnar and I kind of came out of that whole post-punk, power-pop, new wavy thing that was happening in L.A. Really? in the late 70s and played clubs there. So our our actual motivation was, frankly, to fuck with people. And yeah. that that's what we did. And I thought it was always kind of ironic that, you know, yes, it was wrapped in a pretty package, and unfortunately, or fortunately for us, because it sold a lot of records, you know we never did an interview for a teen magazine like Tiger Beat or whatever but we were the darlings of that for a year which completely huh. killed any chance of having any kind of credibility huh. it was like i actually ran into i went to a henry rollins from black flag i went to one of his shows in hollywood years ago and it was right at the height of our of our success uh-huh. he didn't know i was there and my dad's uh tour manager from back in the day he actually was he wound up managing the dead kennedys but he was doing sound for henry that night and I hung out in the audience, and Henry dissed my band. He was talking crap about it. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I went backstage with with my friend Gary Hurstis, and he saw me, and he didn't back down. He said, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "Well, Hank, I'll be honest with you. I've been a fan of yours for a long time." And he's like, "Give me a break." I said, "No, seriously, I have. You know, since the Black Flag days and all that." I said, "And I read your books, and and I think you know we have a lot more in common than you think." And he laughed in my face. He said, "How the hell do you figure that?" And I said, "Okay." whoa i said how's this people see you coming at them you got tattoos all over your neck you clearly lift weights they're scared to death they probably cross the street when you're coming at them because they figure that you're a homicidal maniac and you probably have nothing (laughs) worth saying Uh now clearly it's the opposite of the truth i said you see a picture of me on the cover of tiger beat and say that's all that guy has to say yeah. And frankly, I've never been a part of that. That's what the record company. Did. It sold a lot of records. I had nothing to do with any of that. The photographer sold all those pictures, and if you right. look at those articles, they're all quotes from things like Rolling Stone or whatever. They're just put in there. Yeah. He said, huh, interesting. I said, yeah. So I said, basically, people believe and make a judgment based on what they see, usually, before anything. And he said, huh, never thought about it that way. What do you want to do about it? I said, well, at some point, we're going to work together. He said, okay. Six months later I called him, he did some spoken word on an album. Uh that uh unfortunately Amago never let us release it because he was oh, under contract man. with it. Oh, but man. the fact is, you know, the, there was the victory is is like, you know, I became friends with Henry Rollins, yeah. who couldn't have been more of an odd fit because it's the same kind of spirit of you know, look, I love to write a hit song. Don't get me wrong, that's my that's sure. my goal. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a Paul McCartney fan and I am unashamed of it. My goal is yeah. to write the best song that's ever been written. But at the same time, I want to take people someplace and make them think. And if I piss them off to do it, or if I make them feel uncomfortable, uh-huh. which is ironic to say now, I mean, you know, years later, it's not like Nelson was a big, you know, ooh, that's a big rebel band. It's not like it yeah. made the splash that that Nirvana did with Smells Like Teen Spirit, but that was just basically straight up punk in a sweater.
3: Yeah, But,
2: true. you know, it was, it, and they were there at the right time. Even Grohl says it, you know, they were there at the right time. And it wasn't like, I hate to say it, it wasn't like that happened organically. That was also engineered, you know. It was the same thing that happened to the death of disco. You know, band, records got bloated, bands got too meaty and expensive, and, you know, my label, actually, DGC, decided to, you know, rent something or, or buy something from Sub Pop and put it out and got MTV to go along with with dumping yeah. all that stuff, and it was either hip-hop or it was in a, in flannel. And yeah. so... It was Pavlovian and I see it for what it is because I've been in this for a long time and I realize now that what it really comes down to is that's all the music industry bullshit that has kind of eaten itself in the last 30 yeah. years.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so now it's come back to guys like us that still play music because we genuinely love it and uh-huh. and still go out there and play and thank God yeah. we play because that's where the money is now because sure. you know, they ripped us off for years and nobody got paid except for them. They all have wineries and stuff like that but um we we still we still do it because we love it and yeah. it still means it to, to us and and uh what i love about this album in particular is all the things that i had to go through for this album to ever even come out all the stories behind every single song on that record the fact that um you know we were dropped for a couple of days because of an ill you know a bad start with some big name producers and got the chance to go back into the guy we did demos with and produced it ourselves with him. And the thing is, I'm a little bit pissed because we never got credit for, you know, being the writers that we are or or playing the instruments or all that because it was so easy to say, oh, you know, that was completely fabricated. It it couldn't have been further from the truth. But at the end of the day, as long as a kid went out there, or even now an adult goes out there and puts this album on and says, wow, that really does, that's fresh and it has a different a different thing and it did stand out then and I think it still stands the test of time. It's so good.
1: I just pulled Thank it out for the first time in a while recently to get ready to talk to you guys. It it completely holds up. Those are incredible pop songs. You know what I mean? Thank you. And by pop, I just mean they're just catchy songs. It doesn't matter what you're into. If you're a metalhead or you're a pop, what doesn't matter? Sure. They're just solid to the bone. You know. A couple. Last month, I was in Nashville and I hosted a songwriting panel with Gunnar, and he articulated oh, sure. a little. Yeah, he articulated a little bit what you just mentioned about. The rise of grunge and the end of, again, we'll call it hair, hair metal, uh, sure. being sort of um, uh, preconceived by the record labels that they were,
3: uh-huh.
1: you know, they had built something up. Well, you guys, as an example, we're going to build up Nelson, but then we're going to tear it all down and we're going to start all over again with this, with the flannel and everything. How well? Sure. How did you see that? Give me an example of how you saw that firsthand.
2: Firsthand, uh, well, coming you know, off- you saying it being being preconceived, but it was, you know. That they had planned it this way. Well, we had you know, we were living in that building there on Sunset Boulevard that David Geffen owned and you know, of course he's a billionaire multi you know, multi egoed mogul that kind of ran was one of the six guys that ran Hollywood. Yeah, true. Um I'll tell you how I know that this is the kind of stuff that happens. Okay, nobody's heard this before, but it's the truth. Okay. And uh, our our second song was a song called After the Rain. I think arguably better than our first single, but uh, we made a video for it. Gunnar and I really wanted it to have kind of a message. And the kid gets pulled into a poster goes to a kind of fantasy world or whatever, you know, because he's getting you know beaten on by his dad and stuff. Anyways, he comes out. It's basically the music is the escape. We've all heard the story before, but to us, we live it and we meant it. Anyways, we made this great video when people were making videos, and we knew that we were going to have to spend all this money out of our we're, we're, our recoupment fund, which meant we were never going to get paid. But we meant uh, we wanted to make make art. So it was a two day shoot. We did it. They submitted the video. Our manager calls us up and says, they laughed at the video. They won't play it. What? I said I said you got to be kidding. He said nope. They refuse to play the video unless you cut all of that stuff out in the beginning that deals with you know, the kid having a, a tough time at home or whatever. They just want just the, the performance footage. And and Gunner and I said, listen, I, we can't do it. You yeah. know, it's not a matter of like if it made sense we would do it. But I don't get it. He said, look, they just don't like the spiritual stuff in it. They just don't like anything having to do with the emotions. And he said, Well, fuck 'em. I said, How's this? Um I, so he said, Look, I'm telling you, they, they refuse to add the song. They're not going to add it on the playlist. I said, Can they really do that? I mean, we're like the number one most requested band. It'd be like Beaver not getting played right now. It was for a second. And he said, Yep, they're they're just refusing. There's a guy there named uh Abby Conowich. He's still in the business. He said, Abby Conowich is there and he just he hates you guys and he's just he's looking at the, he just wants to basically stick it to you. I said, oh, I don't know why, I don't even know the guy, but okay. I said, how's this? Tell him that's fine. Just, just get him to, uh, how about one spin a day at two o'clock in the morning? Mm. And he said, no, nope. he said, they're not going to do it. I said, all right, well, we'll see what happens. So for two weeks, we're the number one most requested video on their, their call-in show, Dial-In TV, which they couldn't yeah. mess with. Okay. Yeah. So the kids are speaking. At that point, they're still not adding the video, like not at all. So it's clearly a, a case of bias. And politics, which this is, I'm giving you my thing. So I, I actually did something that, you know, when, I, when we signed with David Geffen, it was literally like he sat down next to me and said, how's your mother? I mean, he knew, he knew my parents oh, and stuff yeah, like that, but I, I never saw him for two, days, for two years while we made the album. And, he, of course, he said, if you need anything, I'm right upstairs. So yeah. I figured, I'm green. I knock on the door. I go upstairs. I asked his secretary if I could see David. And David comes out, and he's looking pissed, and he says, come over here. He said, what's going on? I tell him the whole story. And he said, listen, you can't just come to me if you have a problem like this. I mean, this is ridiculous. He said, I'm a busy man. I said, I know, David. I, I know. I'm sorry. And he said, listen, I'm going to show you how Hollywood works. And when I do this, I'm telling, if you tell anybody that I did this, I'm going to deny that it ever happened. And he said, sit down and shut up. I said, okay. He co- picks up his phone and he dials this number. He says, Tom, Dave. Yeah. Hi. How's the wife? Da-da-da-da-da. You know, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, Nelson's doing really well. I appreciate that. And listen, you know, I got to talk to you. I got a problem with you. You know, the People magazine article just came out on the top 10 most important people in Hollywood, and Abby Connaugh, which is there, is there right now. And frankly, you created a monster with that guy, and I'm going to hold you responsible, okay? Because honestly, he really bothers me, and frankly, who are we to say who who, you know, what the kids want to hear or whatever. And Oh, okay. Sure. You got it. All right, we'll say hi to the wife. It lasted the phone call lasted 40 seconds. And he hung up the phone, and he said, "Don't bother me with this again." And uh, tell your brother I said hi. So okay, fine. I Went downstairs. The next day, Gunner and I were playing something called the Rock and Jock softball game. It's an MPV thing that they had I that remember. was like a charity, the TJ yeah. Martell thing. So we're at USC, about to play baseball, and I'm on the field, kind of warming up. I've forgotten about this whole thing, just kind of a little bit. Well, it is what it is. Yeah. And I see this speck running at me from the center field wall. And I didn't know who it was until he got right up in front of me, and it was Abby Conowich. It was this guy. Really? Right? Abby Conowich. And he ch- grabs my hand, starts pumping it up and down furiously. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for whatever. And he looks terrified. He looks like somebody's been chasing him. And he said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. Whatever I said, I'm just so sorry. Just, just please, please, are we friends? We're okay? We're good? We're good? And, and our video went into, into a heavy rotation, oh. four spins a day, that day. And I don't know what kind of shit rolled downhill on top of that guy's head, but I saw in one instance how this shit worked. Oh, man. Okay? So as much as I grew up thinking, and it it kind of blew my mind, because as much as I thought it's all about the best song, wins, and all that, there's a lot more to it, my friend. And so you want to ask how I know that it was engineered? There you go. I fucking know it was engineered. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Oh, that's far out. What a story.
1: So what are you guys doing now? I mean, besides the reissue, are you guys going out on tour together as Nelson,
2: separately? Yeah. What do you guys do? Well, here's what we're doing. Um, we have Nelson has actually kind of decided to kind of dust everything off and kind of reemerge. And we've got a really Ooh. powerhouse uh, new um, new agency. Well, it's an agency. It's an old agency, but it's called AGI. Yeah. And we're looking at getting on a big tour next year. The way they figure it, I hate to say it, I shudder to say we're now classic rockers and yeah. – um, We're at a pretty good age to go out there, and we haven't been over-saturated. You know, we haven't been around for a while, so people kind of like, hey, if they they package us up with these super bands, you know, from that whole era, you know, I mean, I could see us going out with Journey or with, you know, whatever, but all all those guys are friends of ours. They all know us and stuff. We just haven't worked with them. We'll see what happens with it. You know, fingers crossed. In the meantime, Gunnar and I are just going to kind of act as if, you know, as if that's not going to happen, and we're going to kind of do what we did the first time, kind of build our own little world around us. Now it's a little different. You know, you've got social media, which are just kind of, I hate to say it, late to the party, but Mm -hmm. it is what it is, and and that's kind of going to happen. So next year is going to be kind of the year of Nelson. uh, And I think this this album, the the After the Rain vinyl, is kind of kicking it off. It's kind of an official, we're back. And uh, we honestly had dusted. We we put it away. We didn't want to, you know. We were doing other stuff, and uh, our manager Jonathan Wilson just kind of convinced us that there were a lot of people out there that bought our albums and and That's and cool. love us. So so do it. So we're doing that. Cool. Um, Gunner and I, you know, we have a couple of other projects. We we call you know high integrity fun shows. One we do is a retrospective of our dad's life and music called Ricky Ricky Nelson Remembered, and we play that a lot. That's a completely different milieu. You know, it's yeah. you know, all, you know, roots rock and, and rockabilly and video and stuff. And then we put together a Christmas show, which again is a completely different show. We made two Christmas albums. It's like, if you can imagine the Nelsons and Crosby Stills and Nash doing oh, all right the snow this Christmas standards. Oh,
3: great. Since I can remember, you've been a friend of mine. Now with all the snow that's falling down and this beauty all around us, yeah, all that's left to do is say I love you. This Christmas, I'm gonna say how.
2: Yeah, they're really fun, and so um, we kind of wanted that to be you know a certain time of year. It's it's an evergreen thing. We just basically close up shop and go hit the road and sing Christmas songs. And Perfect. and uh, fortunately, we had a couple you know couple of years of hits with a new song yeah. that we wrote on that on those albums. And and you know, Gunner's got his scrap metal thing, which is just kind of a goof of you know all the lead singers from those '80s rock bands in one band. They all sing three songs and
1: oh, I didn't loop know that. Each other. Oh, fine. yeah,
2: okay. So he does that, and I've got a couple things in the works that I'm, you know, just for my own my own self that I'm not really talking about yet. But okay. um, completely different thing. I mean, I, I did have something together. It was a, a, a well, it, was, it was a modern rock thing a few years ago. Jim Wirt produced it, who did um, Incubus and oh, uh, the United States and um, and Hoobastank and stuff. Their first stuff. Um, it's called Red Thirty Seven. Singer uh, partner J J Ferris was in a band called the Tories, and a fantastic drummer, and and myself. And it sounds. I'll send you some of that music. If you want to hear it? I would love that. Yeah. We're thinking about. We never. We never actually officially released it. We're thinking actually about doing, you know, a new release slash re-release because we were one of the last bands that recorded at Sound City, which was that. Uh, uh, sure. That studio in Dave Grohl's movie. seen the and, movie. Yeah. Yeah. So we recorded 14 songs and mixed it and done in five days, kind of the way Grohl was doing it. And it's excellent. excellent. It's the best thing, I think. You know, I, well, it was a yeah. lot of fun. Anyway. So I'll send that to awesome. you. So listen
1: to that. Oh, I'd love it. Yeah. Well, this is great. I mean, I think about you saying this, it makes perfect sense. It should be Nelson, like Cheap Trick and Foreigner or whatever, oh my God. you know, all those bands that, that go That's out and these package deals. Yeah.
2: You, it would be, would be perfect. Be yes. Oh,
1: Yeah. Oh, I'd be fans. okay. Yeah. You're on the right road. I, to me, okay. Uh, um, okay. Last question. I've always wanted sure. to know. Back uh-huh. in the '80s, I had a huge crush on Judy Aronson, who from oh. Weird Science, who was in your video. Oh, yeah. Did one of you Hilly. guys date her?
2: Yes. No. No, we didn't. As a matter of fact, I lo- I really liked Judy. I think she was great. But when we went to cast that that role, it was funny because we did the whole thing with you know laying out the modeling cards from La Models and all uh-huh. that kind of stuff and. You know, the Playboy Bunnies, which were all people that we knew, or the Mud Wrestlers, all the people we knew. You know, that's a, that's another book. But I remember Gunner and I growing up kind of, I hate to say it, but kind of being the dorks that brought guitars to school, and, and that movie completely <laughs> resonated with us. So um, we thought, spiritually speaking, what if we could track down one of those girls, and we found yeah. Judy Aronson. And she was living, you know, three blocks away from us. Yeah, and wow. I just remember it was my first brush with the difference between even though my sister was an actress and of course uh-huh. you know, and his grandkids, the whole sure. acting thing and the the uh kind of i hate to say it but the attitude associated with being an actress or an actor uh-huh. i mean musicians don't have people carrying deli trays around for them and personal <laughs> assistants okay it just doesn't happen but i just remembered that you know, we had Jim Yukit shooting this thing. as a two-day shoot at Raleigh Studios with a real film crew. I'm talking, you know, 35-millimeter oh, film. Uh-huh. And I remember that she insisted on shooting her stuff first. I mean, we had a crew of 40 people there. She insisted on cr- shooting her stuff first because she wanted to go to Palm Springs for the weekend. Oh, and, and, and because I said, she's an actress, she can demand this, I guess. Well, I guess she she <laughs> demanded it, and I thought, okay, we two ways of going. We got this <laughs> shoot going, and I could tell her, you know, Judy, I really love your movie, and you're really cute, but go fuck yourself. But I just, <laughs> okay, you know what? We're gonna do it because there's another challenge. This is what my uh-huh. grandpa Andy, would do. We're gonna accommodate this one difficult kind of person, and I, she didn't know who we were or anything. She, you know, it was the first thing we ever did. So, yeah. you know, she, you know. So, anyways, we became very friendly after that, but nobody dated her at all. Unfortunately, okay. I, I had the dubious distinction of being the first guy in Hollywood to date Bobby Brown, who wound up being the cherry pie Oh, girl.
1: yes, that's right. I forgot about that. Yes.
2: And all I can say is I was there first. Okay?
1: <laughs>
2: Are you in her book? She wrote a book about oh, yeah, I'm, of course I'm, I'm in her book. And all I can say is, you know, the, the truth about it with Bobby, when I read what I what I read in there, the difference between the two of us is I wasn't fucked up back Uh, then I didn't do drugs I remember everything as it really happened and for her unfortunately her life for many years has been nothing but a a blur of drugs and dick and for me you know I was I was actually let's just say this what she wrote about me was and especially what she wrote about Gunner was complete complete fabrication really and uh, oh yeah I mean look she she was she was not a faithful person to me. Yeah. I treated her like gold, you know. It just it didn't work out, and I think I had an immense amount of class, and unfortunately, she did not. Yeah. You know. Oh uh, goodness. Oh yeah, and um, all I can say is, you know, time has not been kind to that woman. So <laughs> I'm God. all right.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, gu- uh, Matthew, thank you. This was a total blast, and I, you got I'm so excited. For this new direction because I think it's the right thing and I as a fan will I can't wait to see you guys on a tour with these other guys and go to experience all of it I think it's the perfect thing so I wish you the best
2: well, thank you I, you know and that's really cool too is that I honestly feel like back in those times when we, we toured with I remember Cinderella and Lynch Mob we were in the middle of that package oh. and we were like oh, so one of these things is things not like the other even though I love both all those bands sure. sure George Lynch had us sing on a solo album after he saw us and we became friends and Tom Kiefer, you know, one of the best shows I ever saw was Cinderella with with Bon Jovi at the Philly Spectrum in 86. I mean, it was awesome. But at the same time, I honestly feel that something comes with being around 30 years later and Mm -hmm. still being able to sing, thank God, because a lot of our friends have vocal problems, is that, um, you know, maybe now is the time where people actually listen to the music and really get into it because all that other stuff, is done. Not None of us are heartthrobs anymore. I'm talking, yeah. our audience isn't either. And right. that's what's really kind of fun about it. Because when you, as you said, when you strip away all that stuff, our job was just to make really good music. And I think we did. Absolutely. And we do. I do. I agree.
1: And I think too, with this, when people start to get older, all the irony of liking whatever they like, and maybe uh-huh. feeling like a, it's a guilty pleasure or something starts to wash oh, away. Yeah. So the, there's no there's no like guilt involved. You just like what you like, and you get excited about it. And uh, the whole like genre and siloing of people and whether they're cool or not and what genre they play in it doesn't really play a part
2: anymore. You just your iTunes really. library is full of everything. You know. Well, it, indeed it is, and and let's face it, whether you know whether you loved us or hated us, the truth was we were around a lot. And you I'm sure you heard our songs enough to have you know, the way I, I have a philosophy, if you hear if you hear some piece of music four times, it's become part of your lexicon. It's it's become part of your life. You know, so I think that uh oh that's funny, I'm gonna what's what's your cell number? I'll send you something to make you laugh. I'm gonna make this shirt up and you'll 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 laugh when you see it. Okay. But I think that it's it's cool because now all that other stuff you're absolutely right. It's uh yeah. you know, a, a lot of that stuff doesn't doesn't matter anymore, and it's, it's funny. It's like it's like when I went backstage and and caught the Death Leopard um, Tesla show, and, and and we're friends with those guys, you know. Those yeah. guys when, when Nelson hit, none of those guys would take us out on the road because they thought we were whatever they thought we were a chick yeah. band or whatever, you know. And now they're all super good buddies, you know. Sure, the guitar player from Tesla stays with us when he's in town, you know. And oh, that's great. You know, Phil X is. You know, the Bon Jovi's new lead guitar player is one of my dear friends, you know. Really? And oh, nice. oh yeah. We uh, um, I play bass in um in the in the band that does the American Music Awards and the Billboard Awards now for fourteen years. Phil X has been in that with me for that long, you know? I love oh, his band that you know? And now you would be the perfect again going back, having
1: Nelson on that bill with those bands makes absolute sense. Mm. Where it may not have before, but the peop the fans like us, we don't care. We just want to hear no. the people we like and the songs it, we
2: like. I totally I totally agree. I mean, the only way I've been able to stay in touch with people from that genre recently is I sang background vocals on the first two Steel Panther records. You know? Oh, you
1: did? Oh, That's oh I didn't seeing, know
2: that. Listen to Fat Girls on the first record and say, Sh- shit, that is Matt Nelson singing the high stuff. You know? <laughs> That's <great.
3: laughs> drinking beer by the bar I was pretty desperate and I knew she had a car she said her name was Debbie she was a friend of Jenny Craig's she had booze like watermelons and breath like rotten eggs uh, I know you're hungry I can see it in your eyes cause you're looking at me like I'm a sign
1: I got the uh, text, by the way. That
2: is hilarious.
1: I've never seen that
2: before. Yeah. I mean, it's like everybody knows that Nirvana logo. And I yeah, thinking, of course. Yeah, maybe I'll get my ass suit off, but it would sure be fun to like put that up online and let our fans just make a bunch of those shirts.
1: That is great. <laughs> we
2: we'll glad to do that. Okay. Well, hey, thanks
1: for your time, Matt. I really, really
2: appreciate it.
0: There you have it, Matthew Nelson. I love that conversation. Uh, these guys are so good. I'll try and get that image and post it on Facebook if I can. It's hilarious. You, you know the Nirvana logo with the, like, X'd out eyes on sort of a smiley face? It's that, only instead of Nirvana, it says Nelson, and it's got, like, the long Nelson hair. It's hilarious. I'll be honest, you guys. I was late to the party on Nelson. I was. They were not my cup of tea back in 1990. I was a 17-year-old heterosexual guy. I was not really into hair metal. That became way later, and these even though I secretly like these songs, they were just too pretty, and I think the album cover was sort of pink and pastel-y, and that just didn't feel right to a 17-year-old guy's, you know, music library, and so I wrote them off for years, and then eventually, as I was saying, when iTunes start coming around, and you find that your music library is full of all different genres, you know, you get older, you don't really care about being cool or you just want to hear what you like. And I rediscovered that, them then, and if you go back and listen to After The Rain, that album is almost perfect. I like it so much, and I, and I was a skeptic back then, and I've come around. So I hope, if nothing else, whether you buy the new After The Rain vinyl or not, I really hope that you will reconnect and, and uh, rediscover Nelson, specifically that album. It is so good. And I mean it when I say I would love to see them open for any package tour. It would be perfect, Uh, a perfect package. So I'm excited for the future of Nelson. and I'm excited to hopefully see them in concert one of these days. Anyway, great band to rediscover. Uh, So that's it, guys, for the bonus. We'll be back in a couple of days with a regular episode. Thank you, as always, Yan the Man, for everything that you do. I love you. We will talk to you guys later. Thanks, gang.